If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And as you're doing so, I want you to think back to the, uh, when you were first exposed to Christianity. What were your impressions of it? There's a lot of strange stuff that's part of our faith that over time becomes normalized to us, but originally seems very odd. So take, for instance, the very first song we sang this morning. Come, what is it? Oh, oh come, come, O oh Holy Ghost. We say that in the doxology. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ghost. Well, you know, your non-Christian friends and family members, they don't know that, that the uh, original King James Version translation of the word pneuma, uh, ruach, which means breath or wind, or they translated as ghost, and, and now it's universally translated as spirit. They, they don't know that unless you interpret those words for them. Similar kind of uh, instance. When we were first introduced to Christianity, many of us were like, wow, these people talk a lot about sin. You know, nobody uses that word anymore. I mean, try walking around the office or at the office water cooler and ask somebody the question, what do you think of sin? I mean, you're going you're to get some very embarrassed stares back at you. So what you have to do is interpret it for them. What they hear us say when we confess, I am a sinner, they understand that to mean you're saying that you're a bad person. You, I'm a bad person. I... I have self-esteem issues. Uh, it sounds like it's a confession of psychological damage. When in actuality, the Bible would say that it's, it's one of the first initial um, evidences that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Um, I think that one of the tragedies of modern life is that we have lost the ability, people have lost the ability to sense their own personal guilt. And the initial work of the Holy Spirit, the way that you know that you're having a bona fide, true spiritual experience, is uh, he, he leads you to get a sense that, ah, I, I am guilty. The closest, I want to say the closest confession of sin that modern people have today is the admission that nobody's perfect, right? You kind of shrug your shoulders. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But when the Holy Spirit is active in you, you discover um, something very different as found in John chapter 16, our passage this morning. Let's start in verse 6. Jesus says that to his disciples, after he's told them that he's going away, he says, because I have said these things that I'm going away, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away, because unless I go away, the counselor, and the Greek word here is paraclete, P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E, which is variously translated as advocate or helper or comforter or counselor. The paraclete, unless I go away, the paraclete will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, 
Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But he, the spirit of truth, the paraclete, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that, the, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And he concludes, verse 16, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will, you will see me. As I was sitting here, um, you know, worshiping with you, I'm the one that normally writes the liturgy, and I, I was having some second thoughts of how I wrote it this week. Uh, did, did we, like, overkill on the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Is there too much Holy Spirit, in, too much focus on the person of the Spirit in this, in this uh, worship service? And, you know, the, I've heard it said before that the Holy Spirit is the modesty of God. He's the one person of the Trinity that doesn't call attention to himself. And you and I, a number of us had mothers just like that, didn't we? A mom who was always in the background, always letting the focus be on the kids or the focus be on dad. And she was, and I, I was questioning myself, like, should we, should I have written the service this way? And then I thought, yeah, at least for one Sunday out of 52, the modesty of God gets to have front and center stage. And we get to thank God for, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, I think we go through different phases in our Christian growth as it relates to the Holy Spirit. One of our phases is we relate to the Spirit much like we relate to our appendix, right? You know you have it. You know it's there. You know it must fulfill some essential function, but we rarely think about it except in extreme cases. This, the Spirit is the neglected person of the Trinity. We don't really, he's not this dynamic, relational person with whom we interact with. That's one end of, of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is he's way too dy- dynamic. And there's some rather bizarre things that we relate to the Spirit. See if, you, uh, can re- if this has ever happened to you. Uh, quote, I was praying about whether or not to ask this girl out and suddenly I saw a billboard. And the background of the billboard was the same color as her eyes. And, and I got goosebumps and I knew it was the Holy Spirit. Like that's the other end, the bizarre end of the spectrum. I, when I was growing up, I believe the Holy Spirit told me to be a good law-abiding citizen and not drive a single mile per hour over the, the posted speed limit in Phoenix. So I'm, I'm on the interstate at 55 and, and people are veering around me at light speed because the Spirit told me to. And it seems like we've got both of these two ends of these extremes where he's either entirely neglected person or he's a bizarrely interacted with person. But does anybody relate to the Holy Spirit in the way that I wrote the sermon title today? Does anybody relate to him as a lawyer? The word paraclete in the first century 
basically meant, it carried with it the connotations of an attorney. So there's two radical things that Jesus is saying in this passage. And one, he says to them, I'm going away, see you guys, but it's better for you that I go away. I think if you were to ask your average Christian, what would you prefer to have, Jesus beside you, or the Holy Spirit within you, I mean, almost every one of us would say, Jesus, give me Jesus. But he says, no, it's actually better that I go away. That's the first radical statement. Second radical statement is, and I'm going to send what into your heart? An attorney. <laughs> and that's supposed to be good news? Really? An attorney. You mean, Jesus, you mean the guy who calls you up on the witness stand and asks you a bunch of tough questions to poke holes in, in your story? That's uncomfortable. You mean an attorney, the very same guy who is trying to demonstrate in front of the court that, that you are guilty? And that's good news. And Jesus says, exactly. Verse 8. The paraclete will come and he will convict the world with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so that's what I want to focus on. Um, Jesus, it's true that the Holy Spirit, he's like a doctor. And he, he, he provides us much needed and necessary medicine. And he is something like a therapist. He does provide us when our hearts are bereaved, a great deal of comfort. But here, initially, what you need to know is the Holy Spirit is a lawyer. And I have several metaphors for that of how he convicts us of our guilt. Here's the first one. One way to think of this. Imagine if you lived in a house that you hadn't cleaned for three years. Some of you guys, you don't need to use your imagination. (laughs) And you're inviting your girlfriend over for a romantic candlelight dinner. She's coming over. She knocks on the door and the lights are dimmed. She comes in. It's her first time visiting your place. And there are just a couple of candles on the table and a little soft music playing in the background. Very sweet, very romantic, sort of perfect evening until your roommate stumbles through the door and he throws on the light switch. And as soon as he throws on the light switch, uh, your girlfriend sees the floor is beginning to move. (laughs) You know, cockroaches are scurrying up the up the walls and rats are coming out of the pizza boxes on the floor and all all sorts of scum and dirt and filth and that is what is going on in the world right now and that is what is going on in a number of our hearts and we can do a really good job of, of keeping it dim with just a couple of candles sitting on the table making it seem all nice and and pleasant, but the Holy Spirit's job is to come and shine a light onto that darkness. And we say, oh man, I can't believe that I've been living in this mess. The work of the Holy Spirit uh, is the work to turn on the light, to see that God's righteousness is a standard of perfection that, that frankly only Jesus Christ himself has ever attained to. And what we call clean, it's not not clean. 
You know, most people, if we were to interview them, they uh, would tell you that, yes, I'm a pretty good person. Most people think of themselves somewhere in between Al Capone over here and Mother Teresa over here. You're, you're just in that big, broad middle of a, of a perfect... I'm just a, I'm a pretty good person. But the Holy Spirit's job is to demonstrate to you that God doesn't operate with, with that spectrum in mind. According to God, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There are the righteous and the unrighteous. There are the clean and the not clean. There's a great Lecrae song that I listen to on, usually when I'm in the shower on Sunday mornings getting ready to come to worship. And he says, you know, a lot of people think, he says, uh, people think that clean means slinging things, the trash out of their floorboards and the trunk of their car and calling it good. And that is the standard of righteousness, of cleanliness, moral cleanliness in the world today. The world's righteousness is like tossing the empty potato chip bags and the empty Starbucks cups that are just littered. I mean, if we were to go and inspect some of your cars right now, and you did it, you know, you had five minutes to, to fix it up. That's not clean. And that's what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are saying. The world's standard of righteousness is wrongness. It's false and it's hypocritical and it's dishonest. And if I, we've been working through the Gospel of John the whole time, you would see this is one of the prevailing themes in the Gospel of John. Um, that what you regard as righteous is what God himself uh, regards as filthy rags, according to Isaiah. Another way that I I want you to think about this. Remember back in your Old Testament history, the many, many times in Israel's history when this tiny little nation called Israel is being overrun by larger and more powerful nations. Oftentimes in those moments, the psalmist would cry out to God and ask God, God, please be a judge. Judge between us and them. Judge who is righteous and deserving and, and who is not. The psalmist, the Hebrew mind, often thought in terms of all of life as a court of law. And Jesus says, there's some truth to that. You know, you're going to be sad that the paraclete, or that, rather, I am going away from you, but you're going to be comforted by the arrival of the paraclete because the world is going to say they have justice and righteousness and morality all on their side. And there's going to be a, in, uh, the Spirit standing up in this lawsuit and saying, no, no, no. I will prove you right and, and them wrong. And that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, to stand up and to advocate the rightness and the wrongness of the way things are in the world. And frankly, to open people's eyes to the fact, like in the spiritual dimensions of the universe, there is a, a court of law that is open right now. You know, God is a God of justice. He's taking into account everything that people do. And we have uh, uh, in, enshrined in all of our public buildings, especially in our public courthouses here on the earth, Lady, Lady Justice. There's her statue. She's blindfolded. She's impartial, just like God is impartial. 
She's holding, what does she have in her, in her hands? Scales. She's weighing us in the balance. And what does she have in her other hand? A sword to punish. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to open up people's eyes to the fact that court is in session. And also to the fact that we have treated our Creator terribly. (laughs) Um, We've treated the one who has given us our breath, our life, the beauties of this day, every good gift that we have received. We've treated Him, we've utterly ignored Him. You think just how much you hate it when people purposefully ignore you. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes up to the fact that you have mercilessly ignored your Creator. And then Jesus says, but the biggest, the greatest sin, he says in this passage, the greatest sin is when we disbelieve Him. We refuse to believe in God's Son who came to rescue us. Verse 8 says, uh, when When the paraclete comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe me. And the greatest of the sins that we commit is our failure to turn our back, our our refusal to turn toward and instead turn our backs from the love of God that is offered in his son, Jesus Christ. Um, All of this, I, I don't know if this is as clear as I would like it to be, but... All of this leads to a genuine question that I want to ask you. And it's not a preacher gotcha question. It's not a rhetorical device. It is, I am sincerely asking you this question. Have you ever felt God cross-examine you? Have you ever felt like there was um, some sensation of someone dealing with you internally, poking holes in your story and in your excuses and your justifications and, you know, sort of making you sweat as though you were up on the witness stand. Mostly when people talk about having a spiritual experience, they're almost always talking about something kind of warm and positive and um, butterflies and daisy cups kind of But what Jesus says is that in reality, the first truly spiritual experience most people have with the Holy Spirit is they feel upset. They feel grilled. They feel frustrated. They're like, don't, I'm done with this. And what I've noticed is that when um, people actually become Christians, they're like, "Uh, that hurt. It hurt to have myself exposed like that. You know, previously, one of the easiest things in all the world to do is, is to be a pundit, right? You, we love our CNN if we're in one part of the political spectrum, or CNBC, or MSNBC, or Fox News. We just love the punditry of whatever our political persuasion is. We love to hear exposés of big governments or bad governments or big corporations, but we hate it when the expose is of ourselves. And what I found is when Christians, when people become Christians, previously they were happy to talk about all the evil that could be found in the rest of the world, but then they start talking about the evil that can be found on their sofas. 
and in their bedrooms and in their hearts. Because the the Holy Spirit exposes us and shows us what we are are really like. Which probably leads me to the second um, introspective question. And it is this. Do Do you really believe that you have an accurate assessment of yourself? Like an accurate, moral, spiritual assessment of yourself? And why would you possibly answer that question in the affirmative? Um... I mean, every one of us has listened to our recorded voice before, haven't we? <laughs> you know, you listen to your, your, your own voice on the voicemail, and you know, why do you sound so awful? Why do you say, uh, who is that? Why do you say, that sounds like my, my sister or my brother? That's not me. Well, actually, no, it's exactly you. But you don't sound like what you sound to yourself because you and I, we don't actually hear ourselves. We hear some modified version of ourselves. We hear ourselves through some bones in our ears. We don't hear ourselves truly. Not until there's this external um, recording of us to tell us this is the, this is the truth. Same goes with our appearance before we leave the house in the morning to go to work. Uh, We need either a mirror, is what they're called, or a photograph or a video. Does my hair look that bad? Yes, it does. Because you cannot see yourself accurately. You need someone to show you how bad the truth is before you uh, walk out of the house and hop into your car Don't you see what the paraclete is doing? He's trying to tell you the truth before you walk into court. There's a judgment. Jesus says over and over again, there is a day of judgment to come. And I want you to know the truth before you actually have to stand there. Okay, so I want to say one word to those people here today who are not Christians, and then one word to to those the majority of us who are Christians. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I believe that it is likely that you will have to do some battle with your conscience, probably tonight. You will hear an internal voice inside of you. And what I want to say, that voice is not your imagination. It is not whimsy. It is not indigestion. It is God talking with you. <laughs> and you may have to suppress that voice. You may have to tell it to like, go away. I don't want to hear what you have to say. But it will be there. Um, and don't be surprised if it is annoying. It's very good. Okay, imagine the situation where uh, we're at the mall and you're about to walk up the stairs to the second floor of the mall. And all of a sudden, a guy sprints across from over there. He sees you're about to walk up. He sprints across and he says, oh, 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 let me help you. And he goes to sort of take your arm and help you up each step. What, how, would you, how would you respond to that? You'd be like, what do I look like? I can take care of myself. <laughs> Because when somebody offers you help and you don't think you need any help, you take that as an insult. I'm perfectly capable. Or if somebody offers you help and you need that help a little bit, you think, well, that's a nice gesture. That's pretty good. But when somebody offers you help and you are 
desperate. You say, that person is my savior. And that's, the whole, that's what this is all about. It's, the Holy Spirit isn't a sadist. He's trying to get you to the point where you understand the, the level of desperate spiritual, spiritual condition. How much you need Jesus. You have no idea how badly you need the righteousness and blood of Jesus. Okay, then for the Christians among us this morning, um, when you look around and you see your friends, your non-Christian friends and family members struggling, suffering, uh, sinking, and you're asking yourself the question, how can I help them? That you are to pray the most counterintuitive prayer in the world. You are to pray that, that a pit bull attorney from heaven would come and, and sick himself on them, not out of a spirit of malice or, but just because that's what they need. You're to pray for that. I find it curious that when they do the demographic surveys and they ask people to sort of check the box, tell me about your religion or your, your spiritual state, people always in America say, I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. Spiritual but not religious. I mean, one of the things we know about the preaching of Jesus Christ is he, he ticked people off when, when he preached. If Jesus was here today, he would be um, much meaner than me <laughs> as, as a preacher. You really, I'm like, I'm gentle. I, I'm afraid to offend people, honestly, sadly. But not Jesus. And if Jesus, he would stand up and he would basically look at people and his, the first words out of his mouth would be, No, actually, you are religious, very religious, but you're not spiritual. The the modern secular person is extremely religious, religiously devoted to their football team, religiously devoted to their fly fishing, to their kids' activities. You look at your your, your person in Boise. They will do anything to alter their schedule in order to go fly fish. They will spend every last cent of their disposable income on their bands or on their, on their kids. They will do anything to worship the San Francisco Giants on Sunday mornings. Their whole rituals and chants and songs that we do around our football teams. No, we're extremely religious. They say that religion is what people do with their solitude. Religion is what you do with your free time. Uh, religion is when nothing else is demanding your attention, nothing is diverting your mind. Where do your thoughts go? Like, what is it you most naturally gravitate toward? Well, that's your God. That's, and so, yes, you are very religious, but Jesus would say, you're not spiritual, because this is spiritual. Spiritual is not to walk away feeling warm and fuzzy about the God of the universe. Spiritual is when the God of the universe you know, gets in your grill and examines you. And so you pray for real spiritual experience. Um, as I said, pray for, maybe that's a little hyperbolic, a pit bull attorney from heaven. <laughs> but somebody who will press the case and not give up until, until they understand their need for acquittal in the court of heaven. And then the other thing I would say to us who are Christians is you've always got to remember, you must, must remember that you are not the attorney, right? 
You're going to be very frustrated if you think it's your job to convince other people. No, you're not the prosecutor. You're not the judge. You are simply what? You're simply a witness who is supposed to tell their story. We tell them their own story. We interpret our we interpret our stories for them. When I say I'm a sinner, I'm not saying that I'm a good-for-nothing, worthless, bad person with bad self-esteem. I'm actually saying that God is at work in me. That I can actually own up to my own sense of personal guilt without excuses and justifying things. And when I was reading the Bible and I saw the word sin and sinner repeatedly, I realized out of the blue, wow, it is describing me. I have treated my creator contemptuously and ignored him. And I heard the truth about myself and I embraced it, albeit a very difficult message to embrace. I embraced it because it led me to Jesus. Finally, the year was 1750. Frederick the Great, the king of Prussia, was touring a prison in Berlin, and he entered one of the lower dungeons uh, in the prison, and a group of prisoners were there. The prisoners fell on their knees, and they, they said to him, uh, O king, O king Frederick, have mercy on us, your majesty. We are innocent. We are falsely imprisoned. And then the, uh, and every last man in the jail cell insisted that this was the case, except one. The king notices a man standing by himself in the corner. He says, you there, you, you, why are you in prison? And this man says, because I was convicted of armed robbery, your majesty. And the, the king says back to him, are you guilty, sir? And he says, guilty and ashamed of it, for I deserve to be here. And the king turns to the guard, probably an apocryphal story. But he turns to the guard and says, guard, Take that man in the corner and release him at once, for I will not have these fine, innocent men corrupted by one guilty wretch. <laughs> As I said, apocryphal. I don't even think it was that funny. I'm surprised you. I'm surprised you laugh. I'm thinking this is gonna this is gonna die. This this story. But that is the type of story that Jesus tells. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's always telling stories about role reversals. He's always setting people up and saying, oh yeah, those of you who are first, you'll be last. Those of you who are last, you will be first. He's always telling stories like, those of you who, who are righteous and clean, no, 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 no. You're dirty, um, you're judged. Uh, and those of you who are guilty and know that you are guilty, it's only the guilty who receive pardon in the kingdom of heaven. 